Did I ever tell you about the time I met Jesus? <laughs> we have a testimony here. It was a Halloween party, and we were supposed to dress as our hero. And this kid, he, he must have been in his mid-20s. He comes walking in, and he looked just like Jesus. He had the long hair. He, he walked, and I said, holy shit, Jesus Christ, I always wanted to meet you. And I got pictures with him. It was, it was hysterical. <laughs> Welcome to episode 32 of Pub Theology Live, a weekly conversation on life and faith over a pint or perhaps another beverage. Tonight's episode is brought to you by our official sponsor, Craft Beer Cellar. Oh my gosh, that's me. Hold on. <laughs> I'm playing on Facebook. <laughs> so <Craft>. professional. <laughs> Craft Beer Cellar is a craft beer shop whose primary focus is amazing beer, education, and hospitality. In addition to great beer and education, they promise that you'll always have an awesome experience at any craft beer cellar. Visit craftbeercellar.com for a location near you, and that's cellar, C-E-L-L-A-R. Way to make a first impression on our guest, Tina. Congratulations. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> I'll tell you about our guest in a second, but first... Reminding you that you can win free beer from Craft Beer Cellar by joining in on our conversation. Follow us on Twitter at Pub Theology. Uh, throw us a tweet using the hashtag PTLive. And you can also comment on Facebook on our Pub Theology page Keep using that hashtag PTLive. And at the uh, beginning of the month, we'll, we'll pick a totally randomly subjective uh, comment. And um, we will send you a free gift card gift card to craft beer seller we realized today that it is technically the first episode of november but everybody forgot about it because <laughs> it just snuck up on us like oh yeah today's the first yeah we just realized it as you were saying it <laughs> right right uh so so we will we will pick a we will pick an october winner and announce uh that individual next week as always you can Watch us on the YouTubes, Tuesday nights, 9 p.m. Um, or you can listen anytime at your leisure on SoundCloud, Stitcher, or iTunes. And we thank you for listening. Absolutely. Tonight, we'll discuss whether Christians should celebrate Halloween. And maybe we'll touch on our favorite candy, uh, if we got any, uh, yesterday. And we'll ask, why do certain holidays like this get blown up so big? Are we bored with life? So we have to overdo a Halloween or a St. Patty's party just to deal with all our existential angst? Or maybe there's other good reasons. And, uh, you know, if time allows, maybe we'll hit on some important stuff like hospitality and mission work. Sounds like a show. And we have a guest we'll introduce in a moment. Uh, my name is Brian Burkoff. I am a pastor and the author of the book, Pub Theology, and I'm in Holland, Michigan. And tonight I am drinking a New Belgium Rampant, an Imperial IPA. And joining us as usual, uh, Reverend Ogan Holder and Tina Simmons. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Reverend Ogan Holder from Unity on the River in Amesbury, Massachusetts. 
Um, and in honor of my um, Sunday Halloween costume for church, where I attempted to channel uh, my inner Thelonious monk, I think it was a fair, considering I'm not a real Halloween uh, dress-up person, I think it was a fair attempt um, at channeling Thelonious. In honor of that tonight, I am drinking Brother Thelonious, Belgian-style Abbey Ale. Nice. My favorites. Uh, what do you got going on, Tina? Um, excuse me. You're going to be seeing a lot of it because it was. Um, I found it on the shelf, and it I, I could never find it, so I bought a whole case. So it's my woodwork again. Oh, good lord! Oh, it's coming out of the woodwork. Well done. Yeah. Which has nothing to do with my Halloween costume because Halloween snuck up on me. So I was a super unicorn because that's what I had in my closet. Ooh. How is that different from a regular unicorn? Aren't unicorns always? I had a cape. Oh. I had oh, a cape. you had a cape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pictures uh, anywhere? Perfect. No, no. Uh, no. Out of that costume. Uh, uh, we are honored to uh, welcome guests tonight. Um, some of you may recognize the name Reverend Carol Howard Merritt. She's columnist at the Christian Century and the award-winning author of titles such as Tribal Church, Missing Minister into the Minis Missing Generation. I can talk. And Reframing Hope, Vital Ministry in a New Generation. She also co-hosts the podcast God Complex Radio with a previous guest of ours, Reverend Derek West. And welcome to the show, Carol. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be on. Um, so, awesome. You know, I, you're kind of a little bit of a rock star in the, like, the whole progressive oh. Christian, especially Presbyterian movements. What's, what's, what's that all about? Like, how, did, how did you become so famous? I want to know. I, I, want to take, <laughs> I want to take notes so I can get there too. <laughs> uh, like you guys wrote a book, started a podcast. I don't know. Most days, like um, I'm here in Chattanooga and, and everybody knows my husband here. He's the big deal here. So I'm pretty much invisible. And then every once in a while I hear you know, that people know who I am. Gotcha. There we go. I, I feel like I, I should have or perhaps have met you somewhere along the way uh, at a wild goose or uh, something Doug Paget was throwing or something. I feel like our paths must have crossed, but I'm not sure they have. Yeah. So it's great to meet that, you. Oh, yeah. It's great to meet you, too. Um, and be, before we jump into our uh, questions and discussion topics tonight, as a follow-up from last week's uh, Riveton um you know, clergy, clergy wear conversation, oh, hashtag, yes. hashtag casual priest. Uh, Brian um, had his first service. I guess we can call it a, a soft launch of uh, Holland UCC. So Brian, give us a little uh, feedback. How did it go? It's a good turnout. The people enjoy themselves. And most importantly, how sexy did you look in the outfit? <laughs> wow. Well, uh, to hit the outfit first, I did not, they did not send my casual priest outfit yet that they're working on it. Uh, so it's custom, you know, handmade once you order it kind of thing. So, but I did get an email uh, from Maria. She's working on it and it's coming, but I ordered a clergy shirt and collar uh, to make do in the meantime. So Carol, this was the first time I've worn a collar in my life, even though I've been ordained for 11 years. So wow. that was exciting. Uh, thank you. Thank you. So I'm, I'm just like after a while, it feels like it's going to choke you. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Is that so, just curious. <laughs> I don't so know. I am, 
<laughs> I'm just moving into the United Church of Christ, and we're starting a new uh, church here in Holland, Michigan, called Holland UCC. Uh, exciting name there. <laughs> but we, we meet at a local art gallery, and we had a soft lunch on Sunday, and we had a nice turnout, over 30 folks. We didn't advertise this one very big. It was kind of our inner circle, and we're doing a kickoff this Sunday, and it was, it was a lot of fun and uh, some good energy, and we're really looking forward to uh, seeing where things go starting this Sunday. Nice. Great. 30 is a good, that's a good, decent crowd. There's some like Unity churches who don't get that much every Sunday. No, especially for not advertising at all. Yeah. yeah there you go. Word of mouth. So, so not to carry this uh, uh, clergy outfit conversation much longer, but, but I didn't ask this last week and uh, apologies for the massive shit Sue in the background barking while my daughter's arriving home. Um, I didn't ask this question last week, but the caller especially in the Protestant tradition, is that, a, is that a holdover from Catholicism or, or something, something unique to Protestantism and why, why are you still wearing the collars? Good question. Good anyone? question. I was going to defer to our guest on this one. Oh, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to put her on the spot, Ryan. <laughs> we, it's from uh, Catholicism and, I mean, you know, but but we switch it up a little bit, right? So um, Presbyterians will wear certain collars, and UCCs will. You wear a tab, right? Yes. Ryan, yeah, yeah. Yep. So that's. But uh, Presbyterians often wear collars that go all the way around. I don't know all the the symbolism for it. Do you? Yeah, some some yeah. in the in the UCC also wear the white collar all the way around too. I think it's kind of personal preference. Yeah, there, there's deep and meaningful symbolism, I'm sure, behind all of it. And then, like, if you're really, if you're really uh, going overboard in the Presbyterian Church, you wear the Geneva tabs, which are these little. But, uh, you know, but that that deep. That, <laughs> <laughs> this is why we do video. <laughs> this is why we do video. Um, so, but despite that deep deep meaning like not 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 that deep enough that that you guys know about it or you just accept it as here's here's what we do as ministers in our faith we wear the collar let's just we just do it i knew at one time okay gotcha Did, yeah i knew at right. one time but no i don't i don't yeah, always we, wear it just for the record i'm not satisfied with my answers but i'm willing to move on <laughs> Willing to move on. All right. All right. Well, I mean, we, we got into this a little bit last week, and I think it has some function, and, um, you know, it marks you out for a certain role and all of that. Uh, the, the part of me that doesn't like it is I have deep egalitarian leanings, and I don't like the whole sort of I'm in a place and it's better than you or different than you. But I'm, but I'm leaning into it, and I think uh, – yeah, I think I'm going to like it. So there you yeah, go. Probably as a woman, it would be the opposite. For so because people wouldn't ordinarily see me as um, as the clergy person or as a position of leadership. In fact, they usually think I'm the secretary. So when I'm wearing the collar, then like people kind of know that, you know. 
Carol, you yeah. should you should check out um, Casual Priest. They had some really uh, trendy styles that were geared towards women. So, do you think they'll choke me? No, check it out. <laughs> it's custom made. It's custom made. Oh, yeah, seriously, they make nice. it. They make it in Sweden, and I don't think you'll be disappointed. Wow. Give, give them a little, yeah, just give them a little extra, like half an inch in the neck, so it doesn't choke yeah, you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll have to tag them on this episode again. This is the second episode. Oh. But you're going to have to wait till they're a sponsor and they give away discounts through our show. We <laughs> need that. Um, and Brian, again, sorry to derail us, but want more time before we jump in. Uh, no World worries. Series update, bottom of the third, oh. Cubs up 7-0. Whoa! Go Cubbies. All right. I'm wow. Okay. Bring us back, awesome. Brian. Bring us back. Please. Nothing. I'm just going to revel in that for a moment. Um, <laughs> all right. So, uh, well, did anyone have any candy? Uh, I'm guessing none of us trick-or-treated, but uh, if you had some candy or if you can recall back to childhood, if you participated in Halloween, what was your favorite candy or maybe a top four favorite candies? Mm. Uh, so, so the one candy that I still eat that I have not been able to give up and I've given up a lot of them for more health reasons, like type two diabetes runs in my family on both sides, adult onset. So I'm re I've really been monitoring my sugar intake over the years. Um, so far, knock on wood, well, that's plastic, knock on wood. Um, nothing's, nothing's going on with that yet. But the one candy I have not been able to give up is Skittles. Mm. Got a, got gas my Achilles heel right there. And I used to rationalize it because on the on the on the bag they used to say like you know contains fifteen percent fruit juice. So I used to rationalize <laughs> that I was getting some nutrients from it. I don't even think they do that anymore because yeah. that light is conspicuously missing. So <laughs> yeah. really, just crap. I'm sugar and crap and food coloring that I'm putting in my body. I am totally aware of it and. Um, but how I how I manage it now is I'll maybe only use Skittles like if I'm flying somewhere. It's my it's my travel treat, um, or unless Ooh, like somebody that. at my church like they did the other day like give me like I don't know a two three pound bag of the stuff, and I couldn't say no and disappoint them. Of course not. That's what you keep in your desk drawer for emergencies. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm more of a dark chocolate person, but when it comes to like just like the candy bars and stuff, I love Twix. Twix is my go-to. Yeah, I like Twix. But, but now that Ogan said that, um, M&Ms, that's my go-to when I'm traveling, like having some M&Ms on me. So M&Ms and Twix. How about you, Carol? Anything chocolate is yeah. all good. Milk chocolate, dark chocolate, white chocolate. Do you have a chocolate preference? I'm not. I'm not huge fan of like chocolate with you know like big chunks of salt on it. Like I, I don't. I don't get the point of that. Oh, I love it. Mm. I love sweet and salty. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people do, but I don't know. Not, not for you. <laughs> yeah. Overrated. Overrated. Yeah. Brian, well, I was trying to work through a top four earlier, and there were a number of good options in play, but I think I've narrowed it down to number four, Payday, number three, Butterfingers, number two, Sour Patch Kids, and number one, Reese's Pieces. I think you have a problem. 
You, you know, you were <laughs> all over the board. There, there was not even a grouping with that. That was all over the board. <sighs> Taste and flavors. Oh. The Sour Patch is so a wild card. Uh, I mean, Payday's got peanuts. The Reese's has got the peanut flavor. What was the number four again? Uh, well, Butterfinger was number three. Yeah, you got it. You do have a peanut butter thing going on there. Peanut, peanut, peanut butter leanings. Yeah, definitely, definitely. You got a problem? Just gotta say that. So we already know we had a super unicorn uh, <laughs> in our circle here. Question is: Should Christians participate in Halloween celebrations? Did you celebrate Halloween as a kid? And if you did not, was it for a religious reason? I think they should participate, but only if they dress as Jesus, the disciples, and one of the major Bible stories. <laughs> story characters. Well played. Did I ever tell you about the time I met Jesus? <laughs> were you awake or asleep? I think I have a testimony here. It was a Halloween party, and we were supposed to dress as our hero. And this kid, he, he must have been in his mid-20s. He comes walking in, and he looked just like Jesus. He had the long hair. He... He walked, and I said, "Holy shit, Jesus Christ! I always wanted to meet you." And I got pictures with him. It was it was hysterical. I still have the pictures. I'll have to find them. That's nice. Wow. Story. You might have to. Did he we ever, was thrilled. He loved it. Did we ever discuss a profanity policy about this podcast? I don't know that we. Had. I'm not Sorry. sure we did, but she was My pushing apologies. it on several counts there. Uh, when you when you wow. edit, we need a bleep, please. Where's your headset now? Huh. <laughs> um. Oh, my goodness. What are your thoughts uh, about this, Carol? Because apparently, uh, depending on where you fall on that Christianity spectrum, not you, but, yeah. um, you know, there's, there's a lot of energy around Halloween. I got, I got it on my Facebook page from um, a friend of mine back in Barbados, a church I grew up in, which is um, um, very um, apost apost apostolic. There you go. That's what I want. It's an ap apostolic church. I can't even say it right now. Just you know, on the more evangelical leanings, and um, you know, when I shared about us at my church, we were dressing up for Halloween. I'm going to Selenius. Yeah. Her comment was, "You really got to look into the origins of that stuff before you like, you know, embrace it." <laughs> my, re my reply was a link that said, "Oh, you mean these pagan origins? Yeah, I'm good with those." <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah, when I was growing up, it was it was taboo. It was terrible, and my mom, um, she would get this. Like one year, she dressed me up as Fanny J. Crosby, a hymn singer or hymn writer who is blind. <laughs> so I was very popular that year. And, uh, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, yeah, but she would, we went to a Baptist church and she would get in a big, huge fight with the, the people at the church because they would have like some sort of haunted house to raise money for the youth group and, and she would yell and get all mad at everybody for having this haunted house and then she'd come home and say that I wasn't allowed to trick or treat and, and then I ended up trick or treating anyways and it was a big thing every year. It's a big thing, a little traumatic. How but, do you how do you feel about it as an adult now? Oh, we're all over it. <laughs> it's great. Uh -huh. <laughs> well, I think you know. I moved to Louisiana, and um, there's so much about like the liturgical year and holidays that I learned from Louisiana because there's just always a party going on there. 
And uh, it was Cajun, Louisiana, South, you know, Louisiana. And so they get into the rhythm of the liturgical calendar in, in ways that no other parts of the country do. And so um, in All Hallows' Eve, they go out and they, they paint everything white because all of the gravestones are up over the, um, uh, over the ground. So, you know, people are very rarely buried under the ground because the water is so high. So they paint all these gravestones white and everybody goes out and adds flowers. And so it's almost like, you know, Day of the Dead. And it's really beautiful, rich tradition. So I think um, after that, you know, not that I had too many hangups before then, but I began to really see it as a holy holiday. Yeah. So. I like that. I like that. I think uh, in many traditions and places, we don't really make the connection to All Hallows Eve, All Hallows Day, uh, November 1, All Saints Day. And I like that, um, you know, acknowledging uh, the dead and... Um, bringing that into it because uh, that's its origins, right? And I think uh, it kind of got blurry for a lot of us with, well, you know, there's talk of ghosts and demons and there's got to be pagan stuff in there. So that can't be good. And we better just yeah. stay away from it. So, so glad you mentioned the origins because it's one of those rare moments. I did a little bit of research um, Well done for the show. Way to go. Uh, yeah. Rare moments. Like probably count on one hand and have fingers left over. Um, so yes, so Halloween dating back to the Celtic festival of uh, Soin, and that's actually spelled S-A-M-H-A-I-N, but pronounced Soin, um, and oh. that's going back a few thousand years, a couple thousand years, uh, 2,000 years in the area that is now Ireland, and then when the Romans decided to do their world domination tour, and they took over, they combined um, that festival with two of their own festivals, um, so, they had, so they had that whole mishmash going on. And then about 1000 AD, uh, the Pope decided to move the uh, All Martyrs Day, which, or All, which was the original All Souls Day, which was originally celebrated in May. So the church, you know, on its whole thing about co-opting the pagan festivals, then moved it to, um, uh, to move All Saints Day to November 1, and basically started that whole Halloween or All Hallows Eve celebration to co-op or try to take over or revision the um, the original pagan festival stuff that was going on. Isn't that how most or many of the Christian holidays found their dates was to oh, coincide yeah. with? Absolutely. Christmas is the same thing. And I, and I love, I, I really love the irony of many Christians who take issue with Halloween, but don't take issue with Christmas. And so many of the pagan traditions <laughs> that still exist in Christmas, they have no problem celebrating uh, at Christmas time, namely, which is the Christmas tree. Like, you know. Well, I mean, it's easy to dismiss ghouls and witches and ghosts, but you can mess with Santa and trees and right. lights. I mean, that, that's, that's sacred right there. Well, and again, even more irony. So, uh, you know, a lot of Christians who say, you know, let's not deal with Santa Claus because it's not a, uh, you know, religious or biblical figure. 
when Santa Claus originated as a an, an actual church saint. Right, so, right. you know, so there's just all kind of like double standard, you know, hypocrisy and paradoxes going on in, in picking and choosing of, of what to observe. Well, it just reminded me that we're going to have a Christmas show coming up and I got excited thinking about that. <laughs> yeah, we'll start planning that. Um, I, I have to say, probably as the least Christian of all the people on this podcast right now, um, <laughs> I, I feel like we associate, like, I feel like Halloween is a celebration of darkness. And I feel like we, as a society, associate darkness with bad. And it's not. To me, darkness is just going into the depths. You know, it's, it's um, you know, talking about death. It's, you know, it's just the darker things that we normally try to avoid and I don't think there's anything bad in the depths and the darkness of humanity mm-hmm. and that's and that's what the yeah that's what the original pagan festivals were celebrating the shift from you know the beginning of winter um, yes the, the, the darkness the coldness um, honoring death and the belief that um, the the line the the boundary, if you will, the veil between the living and the dead was much thinner uh, during those times. So it seems like in society we um, celebrate certain holidays uh, in larger ways than others and uh, you know I think Halloween and and St. Patrick's Day kind of lend themselves to sort of uh, frivolity and fun and you know often people will throw a big shebang or attend one um, or do a bar crawl uh, or something of the sort Um, wondering if you think that's rooted in an innate human need to celebrate Uh, how do you see that happening in the church setting and I don't know I, I I'm not phrasing this question well but no you're not is the church is the church a place where people can also celebrate or do we need to go elsewhere is maybe is what I'm asking. I think in many ways the the traditional church propriety tends to put a damper on celebrations. We we can honor and rejoice things, but we can't get too wild because if we get you know too wild, obviously that's you know, that's the devil his way into us or into the church. Just, just that crazy idea. But but I think I think that traditionally the church seen as a place of we set the example so we're we will we will celebrate in a more contained way i don't think we celebrate enough personally okay and i'm glad you mentioned saint patrick's day because you know how fascinating is it that the irish don't celebrate saint patrick's day that's become an entirely american phenomenon just like oktoberfest just like oktoberfest yeah like you know we've 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 kind of co-opted some of these things and made them what they are today, but strictly here. And the folks from whom it was co-opted are looking at America going, y'all lost your minds. Like we don't even put this much fuss into all this stuff. Yeah. I was in Belfast a few years ago on St. Patrick's and there was no green beer. (laughs) Carol, what do you think? Do you think there should be more celebrating with the church and holidays? Do you think it's just silly? Did we lose her? Can you hear us, Carol? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So sorry. I didn't know that that was for me. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Ogun did um, a great workshop on the Enneagram recently. And I'm a seven. 
So, yeah. Party animal. Should, yeah. There we go. There we go. We should always be celebrating. And what, the Eucharist is supposed to be a celebration, right? It's supposed to be like, you know, right. a joyful feast of the people of God, even though we look like we're half dead and sleep. <laughs> and we play that droning music. But um, it's supposed to be what, you know, drinking and, and having bread with your friends yeah. having a meal with your friends so yeah. i i think all of this was was pretty much a party mm. Mm. they should be still but i'm a seven yeah. there we go that, that's helpful <laughs> so for those not familiar with the enneagram the sevens are another name for sevens are the epicures they are the people who uh want to enjoy life and don't understand why other people don't want to enjoy life as much as they do. They are That's the life right. of the party. <laughs> Logan, what are you? I'm a nine. Nines really? are the we're, peacemaker. We're, yes, we're the, we're the peacemakers. Hmm. But we're we're also, I, wow. I always say this to people, the thing about nines are we're the peacemakers, but when we're not in a healthy place, peacemaking for us looks like avoiding conflict. So nines tend to be very <laughs> conflict avoidant if they're not in a good place and for me um i've gone to the point where i am not afraid of conflict but at the same time when it arises my my initial like internal action is to like back away from it i have to like mentally tell myself this is not a bad thing you have mm -hmm. the tools dive on in and don't wait for it to resolve itself sometimes place ago but sometimes not need to reframe conflict as a party and then you know <laughs> that's <married>. right <laughs> exactly we've got some issues to deal with but there's going to be cake and <laughs> maybe some champagne so we can get through it exactly did my whole foster it that was that's it that was the strategy <laughs> that's, awesome. that's the secret yeah that is yep. awesome but you know, awesome. it, it would be interesting to find out at what point in the history of the church or Christianity where where it became almost like a stigma to really celebrate. Because like when you read, when you read like, you know, when you read even as far back, um, you know, as King David, like King David was was the celebrant of celebrants, you know, like he pretty much was dancing naked at one point. You know, and and it's it's. I don't. Is that I next Sunday? Yeah, yeah, really. I don't. I don't know where the shift came. Where all of a sudden it was. I'm blaming the Puritans. You're blaming the Puritans. Mm. Yeah, come on. Think about the early days of this country, man. No, but no. Yeah, even in Catholicism, Catholicism before that, it was it was suddenly became this very stoic. You know, there was ceremony and pageantry. But it still became a very stoic, like like reverent thing, as opposed to you know celebration and um, and 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 gaiety. So do so more, do some research on those times and find out what was going on socially that caused that to happen. Okay. Also, what number enneagram were the priests in charge at the time? Yeah. <laughs> oh Lord, I, I don't I don't know, and I've done my research for the month already. It's November. Tap <laughs> till till next month. So, so I'm hearing us say that the church should be a place of celebration. It can be, and sometimes is. I guess my question is, how do we invite more of that? Uh, you know, I'm in a place of starting a new community, and when you do that, it's, in some ways, there 
or no rules in terms of, you know, you can try new things and, and do things a little different. Uh, wondering what ideas you guys have done in um, your own ministry experiences. And Ogan, maybe you could tell us about this past Sunday. That seemed uh, celebratory. A kick-ass band. You got to have a kick-ass band. Like, I don't care what style of music you do. You got to have a kick-ass band because nothing, nothing says celebration like music. And this is the one, I will say, this is the one thing I still miss from my evangelical days, you know, going uh, in Barbados, I've mentioned this before, our church service was like three hours long. And the whole first hour, the whole first hour was singing, praise and worship, singing, exuberance, people are dancing the elves, rocking out, you know, it is, it is the Caribbean. So we're, we, we got a nice blend of contemporary Christian music hybrids with reggae and calypso and 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 rock and stuff but it was a celebration um and 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 people showed up to church on time because if they didn't show up on time they would miss the music you know so so that is that is and in my church we've we we do replicate that to an extent um if you've ever watched any of our services unity on the river we live stream shameless plug we live stream every sunday morning <laughs> and am services are archived on our youtube channel but but the band is absolutely amazing it it is a party every sunday and we do all styles from you know new thought christian music uh new thought spiritual music we we will we will sing pop stuff stevie wonder marvin gay like we we do it we do it all kick-ass band work on that sounds sounds fun sounds fun uh carol you noted some interesting experiences down in louisiana anything that stands out other than what you've mentioned already Oh, well, like I said, uh, I mean, definitely Louisiana is mostly known for Mardi Gras and Fat Tuesday. And that was just a huge part of the rhythm of life. And it really like made me go into Lent in a deep, deeper way, more meaningful way um, right. to, you know, celebrate Fat Tuesday for the whole month before Lent. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. But I I also think like celebration is really important as far as um, when you're building a culture because you're you know you're starting a new church so you'll be building a culture and so I think celebration is important um, to that culture like when you think about the things that you want to honor in the culture then making sure that you have celebrations around those sorts of things. It makes it so that the culture honors those things. Beekner, he came up with that. He said that uh, culture, like, so if you think of, um, you know, the Harlem Renaissance, or if you think of, uh, you know, the the Impressionists in, in Paris, or if you think of, um, you know, all of these little pockets where where people were extraordinary in their beliefs and extraordinary in their in, in what they were doing. Oftentimes it's because they were celebrating um, certain styles of art or celebrating dance or celebrating music. So just really important when it comes to being intentional about forming new communities. On that note, Brian, what are you going to, what, what are you planning on celebrating? Because you're just starting a church. Yeah. 
Yeah, how intentional that's, that's excellent. I, I love uh, thinking about that. And I think, you know, celebrating certainly the idea of newness and we're creating a, a more progressive minded uh, LGBT open and affirming congregation where that's hard to find in our area. And so we want to celebrate those things. We're meeting in an art gallery. So celebrating the arts, I think, is a natural thing for us. Um, celebrating music. So we've got a lot of kids already. So celebrating kids, I think, is, a, is something to you know, highlight leverage uh, and maybe kids art uh, and using that uh, and sharing and celebrating that. So I think there's a lot of possibilities. Now, at some point you posted a picture of a hymnal. Are you guys using hymnals? Uh, We're not using hymnals, but I am occasionally deriving songs and or lyrics from the hymnals. Gotcha. Don't judge him, Ogan. I'm not judging. Uh, and I have to say, I have to say in the UCC hymnal, there are some uh, awesome classic hymns that are sort of rewritten uh, that in my view had maybe some questionable-ish theology that now are written in a um, updated manner, a uh, real focus on, on justice and, and compassion and love and good stuff in there. So that's so I want to. So you're a UCC, uh, Carol, uh, Presbyterian. I've yeah. never, I've never been to a either. I've never been to a service at a Presbyterian, Presbyterian or a UCC uh, community. So I'm speaking from a place of ignorance. However, the Presbyterians <laughs> and the UCCers that I do know, <laughs> I've spoken to, they they speak about singing from a hymnal, and my experience of a hymnal is that while there are deep, Brian is laughing like he knows where I'm going. While there are some, some very, I will, I will confess, uh, um, uh, deep songs that really do touch the heart in terms of, you know, reflecting one's faith and where one is in any given moment. Um, hymnals and hymns don't exactly scream celebration to me. So, um, so my question, again, coming from a place of admitted ignorance on any given Sunday morning in your churches when you are singing from the hymnals, is there that sense of or celebration or even, or even uh, joy and happiness because of hymnals? Or, or do the hymns encourage that? Or is it more like kind of a droning kind of affair? <laughs> Again, asking from ignorance. I'm not there. So it I have can be, for sure. It can be ridiculous. But especially when, one time my husband had, uh, um, it was really tragic, but the, the organist um, in his church like had a, a death in the family and, and just slowed down after that. There was just, it just went so so slow <laughs> and and i was like how can we speed this up and he was like i don't know i don't know i think it's part of the grieving process oh, wow. <laughs> you're right though wow. tempo means so much yeah yeah but it can definitely be um a, a droning affair and it can also be wonderful and celebratory and um I, I worship with an African American congregation. It's it's great, it's great. We sing hymns, wonderful. So does the does the tradition of the hymnal then? Um, 
And I asked this because, so Unity, at one point, we had our own, you know, hymnals. We had, we used a oh. hymnal called, called the Wings of Song. And there were some, um, uh, to, to Brian's point, updated, uh, updated theology of traditional hymns and some, some hymns that the, you know, early Unity um, uh, fathers and mothers wrote hymns. But it was a hymnal and they weren't exactly like, you know, yay, exuberance. Um, but we had him and and like in the past i'd say 15 years 15 20 years most unity churches pretty much did away with the hymnals and we're like we're not we're not singing these anymore cuz these are like frankly depressing um and and this is the advantage of being a very uh fairly young movement unity's only been around for just over 100 years compared to other you know movements we 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 haven't even really hit our late teens yet um, so so in many ways traditions that uh movements that are, that are steep in long-standing traditions of hymns and stuff i would imagine it's difficult to break away from that but the question is do you even want to break away from that like you know you're in the south there carol do you want to do you want to like roll in like a cajun street band and start doing doing like new orleans style you know to your hymns or whatever or or not or would that or would that be uncomfortable for folks to do um because yeah i think go ahead i'm i'm good to roll with whatever but it just depends on the congregation okay yeah. for me you know it's depends on who they are and what they want and um, I'm not a huge expert when it comes to music so I you know I don't have a lot of big opinions about it because I know there are some people who are really really you know passionate about one way or another but I'm, I'm definitely I'm happy with whatever and as long as it's good you know even if it's not good, I'm usually happy with it. <laughs> I, I'm kind of where you are, Carol. I'm where you are. I, I, it's, uh, I, I enjoy a real variety. It can be, you know, uh, hymns out of a hymnal with an organ, or it can be a pianist, or it can be a band. Uh, it can be a variety of styles. Uh, but if it's done well and people are engaged, uh, great. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I, I think that makes a really a really good clergy is when um, you kind of let the congregation form the community and you work with them as they are. And it sounds like what both of you are doing. Yeah. I can't also, I have no musical abilities, so uh, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that my opinion counts for a whole lot on that. <laughs> so Tina, as the self-professed uh, least Christian. Or uh, on the on the uh, round table here. When, when was the last time you visited a church anywhere? The the Unity Church here, last month. Any or any church. <laughs> yeah, I I go to the Unity Church here. Oh, that's good to hear. I'm not calling you out. I'm just asking. I go every week. You know? <laughs> <laughs> my church, my church usually is hiking on a Sunday morning or there you go, there you go. farmers market. That's it. Heather Land. Farmers market. <laughs> Well, Heather, Lynn, and Jason were here this week, and, and they're like, what are, you, are you guys going to go to church on Sunday? And we're like, we're probably going to go to the farmer's market. And Jason's like, you know what? That is a really cool Sunday morning community. And I thought about it. I'm like, he's kind of right. You know? Yeah, and you know, you just bring your hymnal to the farmer's market, and you say, oh, hey, there's music there. there. There's music at the farmer's market. <laughs> there you go. Uh, uh. 
Uh, hey, can we, can we, we got 50 minutes. Can we hit that last question? I like, I like that last. You question. want to hit that last one? Okay. I, I did like number four, but we can jump to the last one. Okay. And I think it's uh, relevant. So number, uh, well, number, whatever number doesn't matter. The question is what do you consider as mission work and maybe share a mission experience you've had that was meaningful to you and maybe share one that you look back on and cringe a little. Any mission work, Carol? Oh, man. I have a, uh, an undergraduate degree from a Bible college, Moody Bible Institute, in international missions. So, you know, I was taught to, to you know, go and, and um, civilize the heathens. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's uh, it's it's. Yeah, right. It, it's it's a hard topic. I mean, I'm not a missionary, obviously. Um, it's so hard to figure out. Like, uh, so here I'm in um, Chattanooga, Tennessee. It was the start of the Trail of Tears. Um, just incredible history here, and uh, very very difficult history. So we have. Um, the history of people starting, missionaries starting um, uh, in order to, um, you know, tame the savage natives. And, and they had incredible, like, rules and, and everything for, um, for Native Americans. And then... Trail of Tears started, you also had missionaries who were like trying to stop it. And they were the only ones trying to stop it. So it, it's this really difficult, um, it just really, I don't know, it's complicated. It's terribly complicated. So I, I just, I don't, I couldn't be a missionary now. Um, and all things like my husband and I met in Hong Kong, and mine was stuck in a box and stuff. And he, he would he would do puppets, um, usually like imperial songs with puppets. We would go onto the Buddhist temple, and um, you know do these like puppet mime shows. <laughs> wow. It was horrible. And like pass out tracks. And um, so, and probably like the worst, the, I, I was 15, he was 17, and used us as mules, Bibles into mm. China. And right. um, so we would strap, you know, three dozen Bibles onto our bodies because, you know, of course, Oh, did we lose her? Oh. Yeah. Are you there, Carol? I think we lost you for a minute there. Pretty yeah. bad experiences. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's complicated. I don't know. Like, now I, I don't know. Um, like, Where does, the idea uh, of uh, just doing ministry with people makes a lot more sense than mm. trying to convert 
people. Well, yeah. so is, is the point of missionary work um, conversion or, or service? And the reason I ask this is because, so I went to a, I went to a, a Methodist college, Methodist affiliated college, I should say, even though it wasn't Methodist, it just happened to be the school that had the program that I wanted to be involved in. But at the time I went to college, I was still very much um, connected to my like evangelical upbringing. And we, um, and every few years or every year, um, the, the chapel that was um, on campus would do a missions trip but the mission strip was purely like a service project. So like one year we drove down to Florida. It was like a year or two after hurricane Andrew and so much was still being rebuilt. And all we did was went down and we helped, you know, do some, do some grunt labor, help people paint their houses, you know, rebuild. And then one year we like went to Mexico when there was an earthquake and we helped this Methodist church, rebuild their sanctuary because earthquake just like tore the building in half but there was never any proselytizing evangelizing it was purely service projects so so my question is when we say missionary work where's that balance between service or proselytizing is it both and the same can can we can we split the two um what, what is it what does it mean these days? Because unity doesn't do any mission work. We just we just don't. I don't think. I think we just sit and let people come to us. <laughs> yeah. Or do service work. <laughs> there, there you go. We 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 rely on the kicking on the on the on the kicking bands to to. Bring <laughs> um, but but where where is that delineation for you guys who are in more like mainstream um, mainstream movements or, yeah. Yeah, you know, for me, uh, growing up, uh, I understood missions as to do with sharing uh, verbally the gospel message of salvation, uh, and then service work understood as sort of a good thing you do to help people, um, but the real work was the mission work and saving lives, and, you know, of course, that was... um, perhaps partly communicated to me and maybe partly that's just how I interpreted it. But I, you know, now have a much more holistic view of things and think that uh, we ought to put our, put the money where our mouth is and, and do acts that are of compassion and seek justice and work with people and engage life with them. And if we're doing that in the name of our faith, I think that speaks a lot right there. Um, but to have an only verbal, we're going to convert the indigenous population to our religion against their own wishes or culture or their own religious identity, that just makes me increasingly uncomfortable. Yeah. When I was in, in Chicago, I remember um, I was friends with some homeless people and they would talk about going to the YMCA and, and um, or no, the, I don't know. It's Salvation Army. That's what it was. Salvation Army, and they would say that if they um, if they went to the service, then they could get a shower, and if they accepted Jesus into their hearts, then with their shower. Wow! Leverage. Incredible. Yes. Yes. Incredible manipulation going on. Oh my goodness! You know. 
big debates about, well, should we be feeding the body or feeding the soul? You know, like, right. exactly. like you know, any division in the two. Right. So there was, uh, I don't remember who said it, and I'll look it up, but there was a quote from um, this indigenous tribal leader. I don't remember if he was uh, in the Eskimo tradition or in South America. Um, memory's vague. But he was talking with this missionary priest, and he asked the priest, you know, if what I have been condemned to hell, if I didn't know about this God of yours, if I was ignorant to the gospel, you know, would I have been gone to hell? And the priest said, well, no, you would have been spared on account of ignorance. So then he said to the priest, then why did you tell me about him? Exactly. <laughs> I was doing okay before you showed up. Classic anecdote, whether true or not, it should right. be true. <laughs> but I mean, that brings up a really good point that that's one thing with the Christian faith that nobody could ever really give me a, a great answer on. Could really reconcile for me. Mm. Which is part of the reason why why I, I left the faith of my upbringing. There were too many unanswered questions, too many loopholes mm-hmm. that, that they pasted over the you know God works in mysterious ways or we can't or just don't ask questions. Uh, well, it was never about from growing up for me. It was never about don't ask questions. It was but the answer to questions like that was you know part of God's plan you don't you know we don't know yeah. the full picture of God's plan or God works in mysterious ways it was whenever we came up whenever we came up to this this roadblock of you know either the logic broke down or it just didn't seem to make sense in the big picture of this you know all loving God then that was the kind of the pat answer and for me my frustration was eventually going like that's that no i can't i can't keep going with these unanswered questions my my favorite one was um only god can open up somebody's heart well if that's the case why is everybody else trying so hard (laughs) well you know there's there's direct and indirect means you know primary and secondary causes (laughs) go ahead brian give us a loophole (laughs) <laughs> just saying, there's, there's ways to explain anything, you know, if, if you really want to. But, you know, this question came to my mind because I'm, I'm currently taking uh, a UCC history and polity course. And our topic this week is missions. And so we're looking at some of the history of mission within the Congregationalist Church and some of the other traditions that joined the UCC. Um, and then also uh, current things happening and there's some real acknowledgement that there's some ugly chapters in early mission work that are regrettable and caused harm. And at the same time, there's also some terrific things that are included under mission, like working um, for the abolition of slavery and working for justice and um, establishing hospitals and working on literacy. And so I love thinking of those broader efforts uh, as included in mission or helping um, in a refugee crisis. So I think there's a lot of things that we often don't think of as mission that perhaps <laughs> ought to be included and maybe help, maybe help redeem that word a little. Yeah. But I, I also think it's the difference between your intent um, because I think there's an approach to it that it's, this is what you need and there's approach to it. How can I help you? And there's, that's two totally different mindsets i think 
They they are, especially you know, as Carol pointed out earlier, when one is used to leverage, one is used as a leverage for the other to manipulate. Yeah, that's that's kind of shady. Um, um, but to Brian's point, one, um, you know, I know this woman who came from and the country in Africa is escaping me right now, but it was it was a country one of the countries that practiced like uh, female genital mutilation. Um, mm. And and she had a daughter who was nine, and they knew this was coming. But but they had missionaries there who came, um, and um, I remember at the time uh, she was actually a teacher or teacher's aide who worked with my wife at the school um, in Virginia. And we were Jennifer and I were on our you know um, mighty high horses of righteousness and uh, speaking out against missionaries going to convert people who didn't need converting. And when she and she just put us in our place by saying, if it wasn't for the missionaries, neither my daughter or myself would have learned how to read. And by learning how to read, we were able to gather the information to come to this country and apply to be citizens. So, you know, you can say what you want about the missionaries, but they saved our lives and they prevented my daughter from going through some horrible traumatic experience. Mm-hmm. And after that, we were like, okay, we'll, we'll keep our mouth shut then. Well, um, again, it's about the intent. You right. know, if, did you ever read the Poisonwood Bible? I mean, if your only intent is to go over there and to teach them to be more like you, it, it's not really with a loving heart. Right. You know? It's tricky. It's tricky. You can have all the best intentions of the world, but if you're doing something that's harmful, then intentions only matter. It's all Jesus' fault. So much. <laughs> oh there it is there it is so we are approaching our hour here i'm wondering if we have a scoring update on the old world series seven, seven one cleveland scored bottom of the fifth second out so all right all right still got some time to catch up but you know we'll, we'll, we'll hold. hang in tight yes we'll pray we will and i quote we will quote unquote pray that god favors the clubs cubs tonight so we'll, <laughs> intent right there now. intent God have mercy on the No disrespect to Cleveland. Uh, so I'm wondering if, there's an, wonder if there's any final word uh, before we bring things to a close here, friends. I think we should let our guest have the final word. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm sitting here going, what should I say? What should I say? <laughs> uh, just thank you. Thank you for having me on. It's been good to meet you all. I think uh, I met a little bit, but I haven't met any of the rest of you. So thanks. Absolutely. Glad to have you. Glad to have you. And, and I'd love to have a conversation with you sometime about uh, church sustainability and buildings and clergy salary and all of those things. Because I know you talk and write about those things. Uh, you know, so maybe we'll put those on the sheet for next time. There you go. There you go. I can rant for a long time about that. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. We'll do a tr- we'll do Great. a church po- we'll do a church polity polity episode one night. There uh, we go. There you go. And there and, go. and the uh, the evidence will That's show. Yeah, that'll, that'll be <laughs> <the> exactly. <laughs> it'll, be our, it'll be our most popular episode. <laughs> 
so I will I will close I will close by uh, uh, giving a plug for for Uncode the Unconference. Uh, I've mentioned this before, and um, this is how I indirectly uh, connected uh, with Carol because she's been uh, very involved in in the Unco um, um, group. And the the one time that I've gone so far, she was not there, but because of the the because of the energy that they really put into keeping people who've been to these conferences connected, um, you know, in like, you know, private Facebook groups and, and people sharing of each other's um, gifts and talents. This is how I got connected. She mentioned me doing an Enneagram thing before because um, there were a couple of people who were like, we want to talk about the Enneagram in our, in, our, in our groups. Does anybody know anybody who knows about the Enneagram? And then, you know, mutual friend of ours, Hugh Hollowell, who we've had on the show here, you know, he connected me with them. And so this is how I virtually meet Carol. Um, we've not shared the same physical space together yet. Um, that will happen someday, I'm sure. But but yeah. plug, for, plug, for, plug for Onco and, um, and really to encourage folks for whom that may not be their usual, you know, um, circle of people they would hang out with. Like I go to this and I'm, I'm the only unity minister there. So I'm like, I'm, I'm hanging out with a bunch of these like mainstream Christians who I would normally avoid, but obviously, (laughs) obviously I walk into this conference and realize I have so much to learn from them and I really know nothing. So um, that, that was a blessing. So, so any clergy out there listening, I I look up, I think the website is unco.us. Look them up and there's one on the East coast is one of the West coast. Um, come, come join. It, it was a blast. And um, my last uh, plug is it is November. It is no shave November. This doesn't count for Brian because he wears a beard, but, but no shave November. I'm encouraging what? all the men to, but Brian, you can too. Cause the whole thing is like no grooming. So let, let, yeah, let I, 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 can, I don't know if I can do that. Yes, you can. Come on. So the whole point of no shave November is to increase awareness um, and funds for for cancer and cancer research. So all the money that you would have spent on your grooming and shaving products for the month of November, you donate um, to them. So you uh, look up noshave.org and um, join me. I'm going to be letting this puppy grow out, and it will age me significantly because all of this ends up being white. So look out. Um, it will it will age me significantly in the next month, but um, it's 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 a personal thing for me, um, and I want to encourage. All my male friends, let let the, let it grow, um, and and um, and let it go. Help, help raise awareness. There you go. That's all I got. Excellent. Well, thanks for tuning in, friends, and listening to Pub Theology hey, Live. Give a final word from Tina. Where are you going? Don't run yet. Don't what? Run yet. I never give a final word. Peace out, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Killing me. All right. All right. Well, thank you, friends, for tuning in and listening to Pub Theology Live. Please connect and help spread the word on social media. You can listen anytime on SoundCloud, Stitcher, or iTunes. And if you want to find a crowd hanging out at a bar or brewery in your town, go to pubtheology.com directory and find a group near you. Thanks again to our sponsor, Craft Beer Cellar. Visit craftbeercellar.com for a location near you. And thanks again to our guest, Carol Howard Merritt. Great to have you with us. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Go Cubbies. And we'll be back next week. We are out.
show whether it's world series state of the union we're even doing a show during the election that's next, next week, week isn't it yes boom we will be drinking heavily <laughs> every tuesday i'm breaking out the scotch next week i'm just giving you a heads up yeah. Sweet. 